Well, at this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children to Children's Church. Miss Gala is standing up right here. She's excited. You're going to have a good time this morning. And uh, I'm so honored uh, to be able to introduce our guest pastor this morning. He's going to come deliver the word. His name's Jeff Ingram. He's from the Louisiana Baptist Convention, and he is the adult, uh, uh, adult strategist for discipleship. How would I? Sunday school. Sunday school. I'll let him ex- tell a little bit more about what he does uh, to serve uh, Louisiana Baptists. And uh, so we're excited uh, to have you this morning. We want to say thank you from driving all the way from DeVille, Louisiana this morning, which is right up there by Pineville, uh, to come and preach the word for us this morning. So let's clap our hands and uh, make him welcome this morning. Thank you, Brother Jeff. Thank you for that. Is my microphone sounds like its own? Good deal. Well, it is so good to be with you all. I was looking forward to, to coming and being with you um, this morning. And um, one of the joys of working um, through the Louisiana Baptist Convention is that um, I get to be in a different church just about every Sunday. And I uh, love going around the state and visiting with people and worshiping with people and just getting to know different people around the state, you know, we've got a, we've got a great state, and uh, we've got a state full of folks that love the Lord and trying to serve him faithfully and, and, and just in a lot of different ways across our state, but thank you for letting me come and uh, being, a, being a part of your service today and just sharing some things that I feel like God has laid on my heart and hope that you'll find a, a word of encouragement and a word of, um, of, of hope. You know, these are not easy days for the church. These, these can be pretty difficult days for the church, and um, you know, I guess like um, any generation could say, but we can certainly say it today, is that um, we, we really don't know what's around the corner, and, um, but we do know that we serve a Lord, Jesus Christ, that does know what's ahead, and um, nothing has taken him by surprise in week, recent weeks or months or years, and that he is still on his throne, and he is in control, and um, God is doing something in our midst, he's doing something in our world, and uh, we want to be a part of that. And I hope that some things that I share with you this morning will encourage you um, in your walk with him and also in your work for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've enjoyed um, being able to um, be with the Louisiana Baptist Convention for um, seven and a half years now. Um, I I went to New Orleans Seminary back in the 80s and uh, went up to Mississippi for 20 plus years and came back Louisiana seven and a half years ago. I have a wife, Suzanne. We have one son named Lance, and we left him up in Mississippi. So he is still up there in, in the Tupelo, Mississippi area. Do you, um, do you remember the name Krista McAuliffe? She was a wife and the mother of two children. And in 1986, she was a 36-year-old school teacher from Concord, New Hampshire. And out of 11,000 applicants, she was chosen to be the first non-astronaut to go on board the space shuttle and go into outer space. Krista McAuliffe was chosen over former pilots, professional athletes, road scholars, film producers, world-class explorers, and prestigious college graduates. Why was Krista 
McCall have chosen. NASA wanted to build up their image. Back in the 1980s, they wanted Americans in the world to see NASA in a different light. And one NASA official put it like this. He said, we're not looking for the teacher who's the strongest or the tallest or the most flexible. We're not looking for Superman or Superwoman. We're looking for the person who can do the best job of describing their experience on the space shuttle to the most people in the world. NASA officials were impressed with how ordinary Krista McAuliffe was. She kind of had that girl next door, someone the average person could relate to. But do you know what sold NASA officials on her? What set her above 11,000 other people? She said that while she was on the space shuttle, she was going to keep a diary and write down all of her experiences throughout each day that she was in space. That simple act, that statement is what moved her to the top of the list, according to NASA officials. Well, you and I know from history that on this space shuttle, the Challenger ended in disaster, and it exploded shortly after takeoff due to the failure of the O-rings combined with the freezing weather down in central Florida that morning. But you know, Krista McAuliffe, despite the tragic ending there, she has been remembered through the years as an ordinary person who was given an extraordinary opportunity. This morning, I hope you leave here today with the thought that God uses ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, and I want to read about one of those people. You may have never heard of a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Maybe you've been studying through Philippians or reading through the Bible and you ran across his name. But his funny name, Epaphroditus, is someone that we can learn much from. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians when he was suffering in a Roman prison. He had few friends and even fewer comforts. The Philippian church members, they had been telling Paul through messengers that they were praying for him. But they decided to go the extra mile. And the Philippian church took up a love offering and they wanted it to be sent to Paul to take care of his needs while he was in prison. For you see, back in those days, if you were in prison then, um, and you had to have someone on the outside, a family member, a friend, or someone that would come in and bring you food and clothing and take care of you because that was often not taken by the prison itself. They did not take care of their prisoners. Philippian church took up a love offering, and they had it hand-delivered by one of the church's faithful members by the name of Epaphroditus. And while visiting with Paul in Rome, Epaphroditus fell deathly ill and he nearly died. Paul was worried. When the Philippian church heard that Epaphroditus was sick on his deathbed, so to speak, they began to worry too. But thankfully, Epaphroditus recovered, and he left for home carrying Paul's letter to the Philippians with him. Kent Hughes, one of my favorite commentators, said, Epaphroditus was a layman whom we would have never heard of, were it not for Paul's brief reference here. 
Epaphroditus served in no public capacity. He didn't shepherd a flock like Timothy did. He didn't take the gospel to an unreached people group. And he didn't receive any kind of special revelation that we know of. And he wrote nothing. All he did was faithfully discharge his duty by delivering a bag of money to Paul and then by looking after him. And he is called by Paul, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and he was identified back to the Philippians as an apostle and a minister. And all he did was deliver a bag of money. We want to understand, we want to be reminded this morning that to serve in some unnoticed, unrecognized place in the body of Christ is as much the work of Christ as his public ministry. Let's look at this man and some lessons that we can learn by the example of his testimony recorded in Philippians chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 25. Paul said, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, your minister, the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Father, we do pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to your word. Father, with the world pulling at us in so many different directions, it's good to come together and for this hour to focus on you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us your eyes and give us your ears and just help us to hear what your spirit wants to say to us. Thank you for Epaphroditus. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for your word that we have. And Father, how we pray that it would be so important to us in our lives, that it's something we would think about, it's something we would read and study, and that we would pray back to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first lesson that we can learn from Epaphroditus is that Epaphroditus was okay with serving God in obscurity. Chuck Swindoll asked this, Who taught Martin Luther his theology and inspired his translation of the New Testament? Who visited Dwight L. Moody at a shoe store and spoke to him about Christ? Who worked alongside and encouraged Harry Ironside as his associate pastor? Who was the wife of Charles Hayden Spurgeon? Who was the elderly woman who prayed faithfully for Billy Graham for well over 20 years? Who financed William Carey's ministry in India? Who helped Charles Wesley get underway as a composer of hymns? Who found the Dead Sea Scrolls? Who taught G. Campbell Morgan, the peerless expositor, his techniques in the pulpit? 
Who followed Hudson Taylor and gave the China Inland Mission its remarkable vision and direction? Who discipled George Mueller and snatched him from a sinful lifestyle? Who were the parents of the godly and gifted prophet Daniel in the Old Testament? Unknown should not be confused with unneeded. Epaphroditus was described as God's brother, as his fellow worker, and his fellow soldier, and as the Philippians' messenger and minister. All had been worried sick about his health. All were worried about how he was doing way off in Rome. And Paul, finally, when he recovered, sent him home with this letter so that the Philippians would know that Epaphroditus had accomplished his mission. Paul said in another New Testament book, in 1 Corinthians 12, in talking about the ordinary and the extraordinary, he said this, those members of the body which seem weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. You know, sometimes we may feel like we're unappreciated. Sometimes we may feel like that what we've done or want to do just doesn't matter. But let Epaphroditus be an encouragement to us that God sees what we do for him. In this world, we might be overlooked and not given credit for our acts of kindness and worship and love given in Jesus' name, but God will notice. People may not notice, God will notice, and he will reward our acts of kindness with encouragement in our ministry done in his name. You know, this past, um, well, about three weeks ago now, I guess, we had July 4th weekend where we celebrated the, our nation's independence. And um, a lot of church services that I were in, was in, read about, did a lot of things to talk about how we're thankful for the freedoms that God has given to us. But you know, one of the most moving memorials, one of the most patriotic times I ever had was when we were um, in Washington, D.C. and went to Arlington National Cemetery to the um, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Have any of you ever been there, seen what that was? Okay, a few of you have been. The tomb contains the remains of unknown American soldiers from the First World War, Second World War, and the Korean War, and Vietnam up until 1998. And my understanding is from 1998 on, because of um, improvements in DNA testing, they're more easily um, able to identify the remains of our American soldiers. The tomb is guarded 24 hours a day 365 days per year by specially trained members of the 3rd United States Infantry called the Old Guard. And a couple of years ago, I got to meet one of them. Um, it was up here. I think he was from Louisiana, um, but got to hear his story about what it was like to serve at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. On the westward-facing panel of the monument, these words are engraved in the, in the monument. It says... Here rest in honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. You know, there's something in the human heart that longs to not be forgotten. 
that longs not to be unnoticed or overlooked in the work that we've done, to feel like that their life mattered. And that is one reason why we honored the deceased, why we remember them, those that gave their life in service of our country so that they would not be forgotten, their sacrifice would not be forgotten. This past fall, back in October, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip um, over to the former Soviet Union, uh, the country of Belarus, uh, just um, on the other side of Poland, north of the Ukraine, Russia's on the east. And it, like I said, it was a former Soviet Union, um, and they have gotten their freedoms in recent years, but still have a lot of um, the communist mindset in the country. But God is doing something great in our Baptist churches over there and was, was really glad to be able to worship and, and be a part of that. But at the end of that mission trip, the team, we, we flew back to Amsterdam in Holland, and the team flew on back to the States, but I stayed over in Amsterdam for a couple of days because there was something that I wanted to do, that I had wanted to do for 10 years. I did the research ahead of time, and I got on a high, one of their high-speed trains in, um, in Holland and, and rode down to um, right on the German border. We were five miles from the German border at a cemetery. It's called the um, Netherlands American Cemetery. And it was put there right after World War II. And when you're going through this um, country and you're only hearing Dutch and German being spoken, and then you, the bus drops you off in front of the cemetery that has Netherlands American Cemetery, beautiful, beautiful place. But as you walk into that and you see the monuments, over 8,000 um, crosses and Star of David are out there. And beyond all of those thousands of crosses, up on the hill is an American flag flying. It's quite a moving experience, let me tell you. But you know, one thing I noticed about all of those, those um, graves and all of those um, Stars of David that were there, um, how many of them had known but to God on there? In other words, this soldier, only his remains were found, and there were no dog tags. There was no way to know exactly who he was. But yet God knew who he was. The reason I had wanted to go to the cemetery so far away, because in June of 1943, my wife's uncle was the top gunner on a B-17 bomber, and they were shot down over Holland. And they crashed, and um, uh, most of the crew on the, the plane had died, including my wife's uncle. The captain survived the, uh, fly, the crash and um, spent the rest of the war in a German prisoner of war camp. But when he got out of uh, the war end, he wrote uh, my wife's grandmother a letter and just told him all about everything that had gone on. But as we went into that, I found um, my wife's uncle's grave and was able to take pictures. And the first person in the family that's been able to visit his grave. But so moving to see people that had lost their lives, have given their lives in service to our country, even though we don't know who that grave is or who those remains were, we still want to honor them. And we acknowledge the fact that what they did, it may not be known exactly to us, but God knows. I believe, again, it's that longing in our human heart not to be forgotten and to feel like our life mattered. Epaphroditus was fine with serving God in obscurity. He was okay with it. And you and I can be as well. God knows our service. He knows your service. He knows what you do for him. And he will reward you one day 
even if people do not notice. Well, not only was Epaphroditus okay with obscurity, he also loved his church. In verse 26, it says he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Do you love your church? I don't just mean the building, the facilities, the programs. Do you love the people? Do you love your church? Do you love them like family members? Paul compared our love to family members and church members to Christ's love for the church. In Ephesians 5, he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus didn't give his life for a building or an institution. He gave his life for people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A love for Christ's church will involve giving ourselves in words and deeds. Do you speak well of other church members? Do you speak well of your pastor and your staff, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers? Do you speak well of the leaders of your church? Do you seek to keep the unity of your church? Do you support your church through your tithes and offerings? Do you support your church, are you helping them to reach your community and the world for Christ? Are you serving through your Sunday school ministry? Like Epaphroditus, do you love your church to the point where you're willing to give yourself sacrificially for your church and her mission and ministries? Verse 26 says the Epaphroditus was longing for his fellow church members. In other words, I think what he's saying is he was homesick. Have you ever been homesick? The mental anguish can be tough, can't it? Epaphroditus was homesick for the Philippians. And it says in verse 26 that he was distressed because they had heard that he was sick. This word distressed is usually used only other one, one other time in Scripture, and that's when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that tells you the pain and the anguish that he was going through. Maybe you're like Epaphroditus. You're one of those people who likes to serve and not be served. Maybe you have a selfless attitude, and you would rather help other people and be concerned about others and not be the one everyone is concerned about. May God give us grace to love him more and to love his church, his bride, with a self-sacrificing willingness to lay down our lives. Jesus said in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Epaphroditus was fine serving God in obscurity. Um, Epaphroditus loved his church, but a third lesson we can learn is that he ministered despite the health issues that he had. Verse 27 said, For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, but not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrows. The church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus with their love offering for the apostle who was suffering in a Roman prison. Somewhere along the 1,000-mile journey from Philippi to Rome, Epaphroditus fell ill. And it was a very um, serious illness because we're told that his life was threatened as he was near death. You know, Epaphroditus wasn't the only um, um, New Testament person that struggled with health issues. Paul told Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, 
to no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, I believe what Paul was telling Timothy to do was use medication that's available. Use the medical knowledge of, of the day that's available to you. I don't think that he was just telling Timothy to go out and start drinking alcoholic beverages. Wine was a common medicine, and Paul was encouraging him to use the available medications and, and knowledge that was available at that time. You know, we're all tempted at times to find excuses, aren't we, for not doing the Lord's work? Perhaps living in our fast-paced, hectic culture and the accompanying stress that it brings is one reason, probably the main reason I hear from people that say, I just don't want to take anything else on. And of course, our health is important. We need to eat right. We need to take our medications, get regular checkups, maybe lose a few pounds. Um, we need to learn to manage stress and prioritize our time and commitments. But health issues should not be an excuse for getting involved in doing the Lord's work and letting others do it instead. You know, when I look back through the ministry at several different churches, some of the greatest prayer warriors that were in our church were people that were confined to, a, to their bed or confined to a wheelchair, unable to be active like many others were. Let's follow the example of Epaphroditus and minister and serve the Lord despite the health issues that we may face in our life. Well, Epaphroditus didn't mind serving in obscurity. He loved his church. He ministered despite health issues. But finally, he said um, that he realized that failure is not final. In verse 28, it says, Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. The 28th president of the United States was Woodrow Wilson. And he was a deeply religious man that led our nation during the difficult days of World War I. And his desire for America was that we would play a larger role in spreading democracy around the world. And he is recorded as saying, I would rather fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. President Wilson believed that the freedoms that citizens enjoyed in the democratic form of government was a goal worth pursuing despite the possibility of failure. And although we as a nation have often failed, in, in providing a better life for people living under oppressing leaders, it has been a worthy goal that we are known for around the world. When I think about Peter, you know, we, we think about Peter and we think about his powerful preaching and the leader of the church that he was. But we also can find in Scripture where Peter failed often. We all remember when he was, Jesus was walking on the water and that Peter wanted to come out to him and he walked out and he took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. On another occasion, Jesus was talking about how he was going to have to suffer and be arrested and crucified and killed. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him and said, no, I'll never let this happen to you, Lord. And Jesus rebuked him and said strong words to him. And, of course, we all know of the three denials that Peter gave of Christ the night that he was arrested. And how he denied not just once, not just twice, but three times that he even knew the Lord. 
You know, it would have been easy for Peter, I think, just to, um, to kind of give up, wouldn't it? You know, after all of those failures, maybe just think, this is just not something I can do. But no, even late in his life, in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter said, As each one has received a gift, minister to the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This was not a man that was living um, in depress, being depressed about his failures. This was a man that was serving the Lord and training others to serve the Lord even till his final days. I'm sure Epaphroditus felt some kind of sense of failure. His church had commissioned him to take this bag of money to Paul. He got sick along the way and ended up having to be taken care of by Paul instead of for Paul. But yet, Paul called him someone that had succeeded in serving the Lord. You know, there was a former church member uh, in a church in a different state that um, I started getting to know and um, had heard that he was a, had a really good Sunday school teacher, that uh, he had a heart for people, that he was a man of prayer. And, and I kept asking him if he would like to start a new class or if he would like to teach. And he kept putting me off and putting me off. Then I found out why. Because a couple of years before I came to the church, he had tried to start a new class. And for whatever reason, the class just never took off. And after a few months, he just threw in the towel and gave it up. And now he was cynical and kind of burned out on serving the Lord and just didn't want to take anything else on because he was afraid that he would fail one more time. Like Epaphroditus, maybe things haven't turned out the way you thought they would in your own life, in your family, in your church. Maybe you have poured your life into people and felt let down. Maybe you have just sensed personal failure. But Epaphroditus is remembered in Scripture and called faithful. And all he did was take a bag of money to Paul in prison what his church asked him to do. I don't know what might be holding you back from using your gifts and talents. Do you fear not receiving the applause of others? Are you letting health issues hold you back? Like um, Epaphroditus, it, did you fail and maybe just don't want to don't try it again because you're afraid you may fail again? What will God need to do in your life to help you to get back in serving him? I started out with a name, and I'll close with the name. Do you remember the name Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott and four of his friends were missionaries, young men um, trying to reach an unreached people group down in Ecuador. And these were um, natives. They didn't speak English, and um, they were um, uh, very primitive. And they were killed when they were trying to um, reach them with the gospel. But before he died in 1956, uh, Jim Elliot said this, he said, missionaries are a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody, capital S. And you know, I think Epaphroditus would agree with him, don't you? Elliot also said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And again, I think Epaphroditus would agree with that. That's what Epaphroditus did in humility. He delivered a bag of money to Paul in prison. He laid his life on the line in the Lord's service. And I think today, if you were able to ask Epaphroditus in heaven, Epaphroditus, would you do it again, despite the bumps in the road that you experienced? 
I think like Jim Elliott, he would say yes, because serving the Lord is never going to be something that doesn't bear results, that doesn't bear fruit, that doesn't give reward and blessing to us and to others. What about you? What's God calling you to do this morning? Did you just need a little encouragement like Epaphroditus? We can follow his example and learn lessons from him and how more effectively to serve the Lord. Maybe Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ today. Like Epaphroditus, who at some point before this story had given his life to Christ and laid his life on the line in service to him by trusting Jesus to forgive him of his sins and to be the Lord of his life. However God is speaking to you this morning, after I close in prayer, then I'm going to turn the service over to Brother Stephen, and I believe we're going to sing a, um, a hymn of invitation. If there's something God is speaking to your heart about, yes, you can make that pew in front of you your altar, but maybe there's something you need to come forward and have Brother Steve pray with you about. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ. However God speaks to your heart, you respond to him. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the life of Epaphroditus. That although he may not have been a powerful preacher like Paul or Peter or of the other apostles, Lord, he was a quiet, faithful servant of yours that did his best for the church need. Father, we thank you for his example. And one day in heaven, we look forward to hearing more of his story. And Father, we ask now, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts as we invite you to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name.